There are many and varied views concerning hell, which are simply not taught in the pages of the Bible. And we hope we have proven this to you by the end of our address this evening. For it is as the proverb said, it is the honour of kings to search out a matter. And it is a noble thing to search the scriptures daily to see if those things are so. Ladies and gentlemen, there is benefit in searching out any subject matter presented to us from the Bible and to scrutinise anything that claims to be in harmony with it. So we've all heard about the subject of hell in some form or another. The common Christian view or view in general about hell betrays the following idea. In religion and folklore, hell is an afterlife location in which evil souls are subjected to punitive suffering, often torture, as eternal punishment after death. These are just a couple of different images. There's many different images as you can uh, get in all sorts of places and, and, and uh, resources. And you can see that there's a current theme there. There's the fire around all these so-called uh, souls who have been cast down into this so-called place called hell. And here we have the devil himself in this one and this one here, devouring these souls waiting for their turn of punishment and so forth. Quite a grim picture. So the wicked at death, as pictured, are sent to hell as punishment for their evil ways for eternity and suffer unspeakable torments and pain amidst an unquenchable fiery abode. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'll, I'll ask you, does, does this sound reasonable? Is this the true teaching of the Bible? Now, surely we live in a world of confusion, do we not? Now, in more recent times, many have abandoned the idea of hell altogether. And with it, any real desire to investigate whether this is in fact a true reflection of what the Bible actually teaches. There is an abhorrence of the idea of eternal suffering, surely a right instinct, and has caused people to rather cling to a vague hope of universal salvation, that all will enjoy eternal happiness, irrespectively of the works done during their mortal life. Yet, that has now left people and most have a sense of the whatever attitude and the as long as I mind my own business and not interfere with anyone else's life type attitude. And so largely the majority in the mainstream of humanity see fit to live their lives as they please regardless of any offence to God their creator. Now even the Pope in recent times seemed to have removed himself from the traditional Catholic teaching on hell with some comments he allegedly made. This was a news article out of The, uh, the Guardian entitled, The Vatican Scrambles After Pope Appears to Deny Existence of Hell. The Vatican has scrambled to clarify comments made by Pope Francis to a well-known Italian journalist that appeared to deny the existence of hell. During the meeting, Scalfari, who's the journalist, 
asked the Pope where bad souls go, to which he was quoted as responding, they are not punished. Those who repent obtain God's forgiveness and take their place among the ranks of those who contemplate him. But those who do not repent and cannot be forgiven disappear. A hell doesn't exist. The disappearance of sinning souls exists. With all this aside, ladies and gentlemen, we've all been at some stage to a funeral, haven't we? Most funerals seem to run the same pattern. And the minister or the highly educated uh, priest conducting the service will try and comfort those in attendance and confirm that their loved one is not really dead but has gone somewhere, either to heaven, but never, never is the person consigned by the priest to hell. And again, I put it to you to ponder as to what does one therefore wonder about the concept of hell altogether. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if we truly want to know if hell exists or not, then it is to the Bible we should turn. So let's see then what the Bible actually teaches because man has confused the real issues of life. But God is not, we are told, the author of confusion. The Bible, as you may already be aware, is made up of 66 books, consisting of 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New, but it is one complete revelation from God to man, which reveals his plan and his purpose with the earth and mankind upon it. The Bible as a whole is balanced and manifests the glorious attributes of an all-wise creator which demonstrates his wisdom and love toward his creation. The word hell is contained within both Old and New Testaments in the Hebrew and Greek languages. In the Old Testament, we have the word hell, which comes from the Hebrew word sheol, which is used synonymously with the word grave. But not once, ladies and gentlemen, however, is the word sheol used in the sense of eternal torment or preservation. On the contrary, it refers to a state of decay. It refers to a state of decay and cessation of life. And we'll have a look at some examples about that in a moment. The Old Testament equivalent of the word sheol is expressed through the Greek language in the New Testament in the word Hades. Now, essentially, the idea of the word hell expresses the idea of a covered place or a covering, and that's common even in today's language. For example, a person who wore something to protect or cover their head is called a hell met. A person who thatches a roof to cover it with various materials was called a hellier. So we can see the close relation between hell and a covered place or a covering. So in ancient times when they used the word hell, it meant a covered place, somewhere where the deceased was covered out of sight. In Numbers we are shown an example of this. Here in Numbers 16 we have the opening up of the ground against Korah, Dathan and Abiram and it says, and it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that is Moses, that the ground clave asunder 
that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men that appertain unto Korah and all their goods. And all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit. The word pit there is the word hell. And the earth closed upon them. The word closed there is to cover. And they perished from among the congregation. So there's a bit of an idea about hell, but we're not talking about any sort of idea of eternal punishment, are we? This is a one-off instant where they were swallowed by the earth and they were deceased from amongst the congregation. Nothing about a fiery hell and eternal punishment. Okay, now keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, the traditional idea, which we've seen a few slides back, of hell. Some of the examples of the Hebrew word sheol in this traditional view. So, so we've seen this a couple of slides back, and I'll just read it again. In religion and folklore, hell is an afterlife location in which evil souls are subjected, are subjected to punitive suffering, often torture as eternal punishment after death. Now, if you'll turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 37. Now, in Genesis 37, we have the story of Joseph. And there's a little bit of background to that. Joseph uh, was, it appeared, it was favoured by his father over the rest of his brothers. And his brothers uh, took exception to that. And we read in verses uh, 31 of Genesis 37. And they, that is the brothers, took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped, it, dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colours and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, This is Jacob, his father. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. Now in verse 35, it says this, And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And, uh, and he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now if we, ladies and gentlemen, if we were to take, we see here the word grave is the word, Hebrew word shehol and it's translated hell or pit. Not a place of torment, just simply the grave or a covered place. Now if we were to take this word and Use, use it in the traditional way of the way hell is used by the church, then we come into a bit of a quandrum, don't we? Because the first point is the man Jacob is never mentioned in Scripture as an evil, wicked man and therefore not a candidate of a place in hell. Because he says in verse 35, 
It says, And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I will go down into the grave, into hell. Now, we're told that hell is a place for the wicked. Well, Jacob is a servant of God, and he is not known throughout the scriptures as an evil, wicked man. <clears throat> now, if we read this verse, like as I said, in the traditional view being a place of torment, Jacob is merely stressing the point that he would mourn for his son constantly until the day of his death. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, I will surely go to the grave in the state I'm in because I am mourning for my son. The second point is, if hell is the place where the wicked go to be tormented, then how can Jesus Christ speak of Jacob hundreds of years later and make the following comment in Luke chapter 13? Jesus says, in speaking to the people of his day, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and ye yourselves thrust out. So those possibly thrust out, they will just go straight to the grave, never to be seen again, not to a place of eternal torment and punishment. But the Lord says, Jacob will be in the kingdom of God. So we know that when Jacob said he'll go down into the grave, he didn't literally mean hell. He meant the grave. But the translators have allowed that word grave to be translated as hell. So you can see, ladies and gentlemen, that it does not make sense if we stick to the traditional views and church teachings regarding the subject of hell. Now, if Jacob were deemed wicked, then he would surely go to hell and stay there to be tormented for eternity, if it existed. But Jesus clearly states that he will be part of the kingdom of God that is to be set up. The kingdom was not set up at the time when Jesus spoke those words. So it is a future reference. Turn with me, please, now to Psalm 16. Now here again, we have the Hebrew word Sheol translated as hell. In Psalm 16 and verse 10, we read, or we can read verse, verse 8, for eight onwards for context. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. The psalm before us is a psalm of King David. But my question is, is he talking about himself or some other man? Well, the answer is found in Acts chapter 2. And here is what the Apostle Peter says. Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter says, and he is quoting this psalm, he says, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine only holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known unto me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. And then he goes on and says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre 
or grave is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell. So that's who David was speaking about in the psalm, the Lord Jesus Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So Peter is saying, look, there's David's tomb right there. David is both dead and buried. He goes on and says about the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking of his resurrection, that his soul was not left in hell. So he's talking about our Lord. And so if we accept the traditional church teaching with verse 31, then this verse is telling us that Jesus went to hell and was raised out of it which we know from the Bible, he did not go to hell in the traditional sense. He did not go to that fiery place of torment. He simply went to the grave. Okay, so since we are now in the New Testament, the word hell in verse 31 is the Greek word Hades. It's his exact translation as the Hebrew word Sheol. We know from the scriptures that Christ was in the grave or tomb for three days, but nowhere is it recorded that he was tormented. And that, that uh, tomb which he was in was actually above ground. The traditional teaching of hell will tell you that hell is beneath the surface of the earth. So the whole idea of hell, according to church teaching, is very unbalanced and wanting. Now, another word, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to consider is in the book of Revelation. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Here we have, again, the Greek word Hades, chapter 20, probably verse 12. It says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered were, uh, hell, sorry, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into this lake of fire. Some interesting wording in that, in that portion there. Now, when we have a closer look at this section, we will definitely see a contradiction. Revelation is a book that cannot be read and taken literally because it contains symbols that would confuse the reader should he or she attempt to read it in a literal manner. So if we were to take these verses literally, we end up in quite a, a mix-up. Or if we take them in the traditional view of the way hell is taught from the church as a fiery place of torment, we read, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. 
And they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Now, if you have a look at the traditional teaching of hell, they will tell you that the lake of fire is hell. So when we read this, does it make sense? And death and hell were cast into hell. It creates confusion straight away. And one is left looking at this verse, wondering what it all means. Ladies and gentlemen, there, there is another word in the New Testament for hell, and that is the word Gehenna. Now that word is used 12 times in the books of Matthew, Mark, and James. Again, the translators didn't get this right because where we see this word Gehenna used, it is again misused in the traditional sense of hell being a place of fiery torment, etc. When we look at the 12 occasions that this word Gehenna is used in the scriptures, it is speaking about a valley in Jerusalem called the Valley of Hinnom. This valley has quite a history and we could easily see why the translators have attributed the word hell in its various verses to relate to a place of fiery torment. Here we have the Valley of Hinnom, or Gehenna, and it says Jerusalem's Hinnom Valley marked the western and southern edges of Jerusalem beginning along the western hill and ending where the Terupian and uh, Kidron Valleys meet. In the Old Testament, it was often the site where, people, where the people of Judah sacrificed their children to Baal. There's the various quotes. King Manasseh of Judah added to the negative reputation of the Hinnom Valley by sacrificing some of his own sons in Baal worship there. He also practiced sorcery, witchcraft in defiance of God's law. King Josiah, Manasseh's grandson, later destroyed many of these pagan structures and practices. But by that time, Israel was so involved in paganism that God's judgment soon fell upon the people. Jerusalem's Hinnom Valley also became the perpetual burning garbage dump and city sewer. Residents sometimes called it the Valley of the Sewer or the Valley of the Pagans. The poor and criminals were discarded and thrown upon it and regarded as nothing. By Jesus' time, the Greek translation of Hinnom Valley, Gehenna, became a synonym for hell. Thus, the English versions of the Bible translate Valley of Hinnom in the New Testament as hell. With its pagan history and its burning sewer stench, Jerusalem's Hinnom Valley serves as a vivid metaphor for both Christian and Jewish concept of hell. So you can see how the translators have come to this, and even the Lord spoke of this himself when he talked about the, the, the fires of Gehenna not being uh, quenched. Now, we've only looked at a few examples of these words, Shehol, Hades, and Gehenna, and there are many other examples which we have unfortunately had to leave out for the sake of time, but I think it would be fair to say that the word hell translated out of these three words do not correspond to a literal place of fiery torment for the wicked, as taught by various religions, both past and present. This idea and teaching is subversive to every principle of justice and reason and derogatory to the righteous character of Almighty God. The concept of hell is simply, in the traditional view, not taught in the Bible. Now if we turn, ladies and gentlemen, to our reading, Psalm 49 reveals to us a few things that I would really like to draw your attention to. 
You see, the subject of hell, ladies and gentlemen, hinges or relies upon two other erroneous teachings, and they are the doctrine of the immortality of the soul and the doctrine of heaven going. Now, both are equally poisonous to anyone's personal salvation and are unfortunately part of the reason why Christendom is so astray from the Bible today. And I say this for the following. The Bible teaches that man is mortal, is a dying creature and is in need of the redemption of his body. He does not have any consciousness in the grave, nor does he possess an immortal soul that lives on after death. Turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19. The Bible makes it very clear about the sentence of death and the death state upon the first human pair, which was passed, upon, passed on to all human beings afterwards. In verse 19, the sentence upon Adam in the very uh, commencement of the Bible, in Genesis 3 and verse 19, it says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. If you come over to Romans 5 and verse 12, we read, and this supports this quote in Romans 5 verse 12, the verse that we have just read from Genesis chapter 3. So there's a consistent flow from the Old Testament into the New. Romans 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And if we turn to Ecclesiastes 8, There is no man that hath power over the spirit, that is, his breath, which God gave unto Adam at the start, the breath of life, there is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7, speaking about when a person dies, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit or breath of life shall return unto God who gave it. And that's merely just the thing that energizes the human body, the breath of life. It's not talking about a spirit, you know, in the traditional church view of wafting up into uh, heaven and, and playing harps in the clouds. That's not what it's talking about. It's merely saying that when man dies, his spirit is yielded and that breath, that energy goes back to God. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 5 and 6. For the living... And we can appreciate this, for the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. But if you're dead and you're down in hell, it doesn't make sense if you know not anything. This is clearly what it's saying. When you're in the ground and when you're in the grave, you don't know a thing. You have no idea what's going on around you because you are unconscious. And that is what death is. It is an unconscious state. He goes on and says, Neither have, uh, sorry, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also, their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished, neither have they any more a portion forever in the thing that is done under the sun. There's our proof to support these claims. 
Note, the words immortal and soul never occur together in the Bible. So we cannot bring the aspect of an immortal soul into any of these verses. Man's hope is in a resurrection from the grave and to be a part of God's kingdom on earth, reigning with his son, Jesus Christ, who will return to establish the kingdom. Reign as king and re-educate the world in God's ways. The total outcome will be that God's glory will fill the earth in its entirety. Heaven is not the reward of the righteous, the earth is. Proof? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. Actually, I'll get you to turn to Job 19 and I will quote Genesis 13 now because that is where God speaks to Abraham, a faithful man of the Bible, and he says, look north, south, east and west. He says, for all the land that thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. He doesn't say, look up to heaven, Abraham. No, he says, that is your inheritance, the land, the land on earth. Job 19 and verse 25. Here we read, and this is Job's confidence. He knows he's a man, he's mortal, he's going to go to the grave, but he says, and this is his hope and his comfort. He says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Knowing very well that he has a redeemer, that is someone who will redeem him from the power of the grave. And we will see that in our reading in Psalm 49. In the second of Samuel 7, it is the promise to David. David, who in his psalm that we've seen earlier, mentioned about not leaving his soul in hell. He was referring to Christ. But that Quotation from 2 Samuel, God comforts him and says that you will stand before the king who will sit on your throne. And that king will return because we get that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. If we go there, please. Acts 1 and verse 11, and it says, While they look steadfastly toward heaven, as the previous verse talks about Jesus being taken up, Two men stood uh, by them in white apparel, which we believe are angels, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which was taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And Acts 17 verses 30 speaks about God sending his son to judge the world in righteousness. And he makes it clear, he says, by that man whom he hath ordained in Acts 17. Now in Luke 1, we get further confirmation of who it is that will sit upon that throne. And that was the angel who spoke to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and verse 31 to 33. And there it says, and behold, the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. So that will be a fulfilment of the, the uh, promise to David in Second Samuel. And he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. 
Well, that kingdom isn't established yet. If it were, then we wouldn't be sitting here. It is a future reference which speaks of Acts chapter 1. He shall surely come in like manner. Psalm 72 speaks of the reign of Christ. That whole chapter is attributed to the righteous reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 37 talks about the, the, the reward of the righteous and it talks about the land, the earth, the land, the earth, all the way through that chapter. So it's not speaking about some inheritance in heaven. The Bible knows nothing about God's faithful inheriting a place in heaven. And in Isaiah chapter 2 is a re-education of the nations when the Lord Jesus Christ shall reign from Jerusalem and the law of God shall go forth from Jerusalem and all nations shall flow unto the temple that is to be built. And it makes it clear that it is in Jerusalem. And finally, Numbers 14 and verse 21 will be the complete fulfilment in its entirety where God said to Moses many years before, he said, truly I live, Moses, all the earth will be filled with my glory. So, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible knows nothing about a literal hell, a fiery place of torment with unquenchable fire. There is no sense or benefit in believing in a literal hell as a place of torment or believing that we live on after death or go to heaven as a reward. However, our reading highlights to us the absolute, at the absolute futility of life and how desperately hopeless we are without God's mercy. In verse 20 of our reading of Psalm 49, verse 20 of Psalm 49, we read the following. It says, Man, man that is in honour, and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. Now the word understandeth there means to separate mentally. So this class which is, is spoken of here, the, 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 the man that is in honour and he understands not, a man that has not separated himself mentally, in other words he has not separated himself from the things of this life and this world and not taken the opportunity to take up that invitation that God has put before him, if he has no understanding of what God is and what God plans to become, then he will be just like a beast of the earth that perishes. Now, that word understand it is the key to this whole chapter and possibly the Bible. Because we are told that without understanding, we are like the beasts that perish. We are surely going to the grave and God has no reason to bring us out again. So understanding is essential. But what is it, ladies and gentlemen, uh, what is it that we are to understand? Now as we draw our marks to a close, I'd like to... Have a look at what is essential for us to know 
that we do not perish like the beasts. Now consider with me the important words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said unto Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Any questions? Believest thou this? Well, in that reading, in verse 15 of Psalm 49, the psalmist says, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. See, God is only going to, only going to bring a person out of the grave if he has good reason to bring that person out of the grave. Mark 16. Here the Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. Now the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, is the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they're the things we need to know about. They are the essentials. And the Lord Jesus Christ, before he went to his crucifixion, said this, and this is life eternal, that they, that is the believers, anyone who picks the Bible up with interest, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no such place as hell as far as a fiery place of eternal torment. God extends to us an invitation to be reigning with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he returns to re-establish the kingdom of God on earth. The question is, do you want to understand or understandeth not? And there are many quotes throughout the scriptures that give us the benefit and the woe to believing or understanding or not. The choice is yours and the time of what is called the Gentiles, the times of the Gentiles is fast coming to a close, which is really the last days before the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And when he does, the day of opportunity will be fast at an end. We hope, and it is our prayer, that you take on this hope, and we pray and hope that you take up the hope that God has invited you to, to receive from his word, the Bible. But be assured, when you go, when you pass away and you go into the ground, there is no hell as a fiery place of torment. Hell, ladies and gentlemen, is simply the grave. Thank you.